Welcome to episode 144 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Stuart Scott Curran. He is currently the head of brand design at Intercom. Before that, he was at places like CNN and Coca-Cola and Nike. And this was one of my favorite conversations. Uh, incredibly interesting. We get into the ethics and morals of design. It was super cool. And I can't imagine a better person to have talked to. He's had a wide variety of access to that problem. Yeah, very fun. But before we get into it, we want to thank our sponsor for making this episode possible. And that's Dropbox. So Dropbox right now is working on simplifying the way people work together. And to do that, they're bringing on a bunch of experienced designers, including design managers, to make that happen. Like Dropbox came onto the scene at a time when there were already like 15 other like file sharing services and they won, they like jumped to the forefront because design was such a big differentiator for them. Uh, it was just their thing. So simple. It just worked. It synced to all your devices without even worrying about it. So if you are interested in working on problems like that, they're looking for talented and passionate design managers uh, from all around the world to join their growing team. So design managers at Dropbox are responsible for everything from partnering with product managers and engineers to set the product vision, uh, driving critiques, mentoring their teams, strengthening the design community at Dropbox, which it's already significant. I mean, that team has always been incredible. So they're growing and they're a great place to develop your product design career and management, develop your leadership skills, and really try and scale a large design organization. So it's a huge task, huge responsibility, huge challenges, but Dropbox seems like a pretty rad place to do it. So if you're interested in those kind of challenging problems and trying to solve them with some amazing people who are super smart, Dropbox would be like the right place to do it. And you could ship like crazy, like seriously big products that touch people's lives every single day. Go check them out spec.fm slash dropbox thanks once again to dropbox for sponsoring the show and with that let's get into episode 144 with Stuart scott curran uh i'm Stuart scott curran i'm uh, a scotsman living in san francisco whoa <laughs> i would never have noticed you want to get any jokes out of the way right now uh, i don't know any scottish jokes yeah that's good something something austin powers oh yeah eggs i guess <laughs> Eggs, scotch eggs, like I <laughs> sick joke. <laughs> I am a director of brand design at Intercom, um, organizer of uh, Creative Mornings in San Francisco. Uh, that's it. Cool. Creative Mornings is how I met you, and indeed, that's great. Creative Mornings is how I first heard about you. Although I'm going to admit something. Yeah, I haven't been to a Creative Mornings talk yet. God, are you going to Linda's tomorrow? I unfortunately cannot. Well, Holly's technically, I guess. It's Holly, Holly, Holly and, and Linda. Linda. Linda just invited me last night, so. <sighs> Would love to. I'll do one soon. Uh, but yeah, that's how I first heard, heard about you as well. But you are uh, doing brand design at Intercom. Yes. What are you working on right now? Uh, a bunch of stuff. Uh, building out the team. Um, hiring a bunch of rad people. Uh, working with a bunch of rad people. A lot of... Um, interactive marketing work a lot of event stuff um interactive that's awesome. marketing work yeah. that all sounds right <laughs> wait talk to me about that what's interactive marketing well like so all of our product and r&d is in dublin okay so the office is split um pretty much 50 50 um product design engineering product management research um all of that stuff is in dublin Everything else is in San Francisco. Um, that seems surprising. Yeah, that is surprising. Why? All the product people are, and the engineering are in Dublin. Mm -hmm. When 
Like that's kind of what the city is almost known for, right? Is like the product people and the engineering and the designers and stuff. San like Francisco. That. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not to say it's exclusive or anything, but no, no, no. Th- that seems like a yeah, it's the trend. But Dublin's very much um, like a high tech city. Okay. You know, it's pretty much like a hub in Europe for like oh, nice. tech mm-hmm. jobs. Yeah. It's a lot of start, a lot of um, a lot of startups there. A lot of um. Companies have uh, offices there. Facebook has an office there. Apple Dropbox does too, right? Have, yeah, Apple, Data Google, <laughs> yeah. Amazon has a place there. Mm-hmm. Um, but like a lot of our product designers in, in Dublin have come from like Amazon and Facebook and Google and places like that. So um, so they do the product and we pretty much do everything else. So like the homepage, the marketing uh, landing pages that explains what the product is. Um, we do the blog, you know, we maintain that, mm-hmm. we design that stuff. Does that also include the, the podcast inside Intercom? Yep. Okay. Yeah. We do that along with our content team. And then we put on a lot of events. Like we've got a, a US tour going on right now, a live version of Inside Intercom. So that's sweet in Toronto tonight. Um, so we like design the whole experience behind that. Wow. Um, we make physical goods. Um, anything where we want to kind of like uh, explain to people what Intercom is mm-hmm. and who we are and what we do and what we stand for and all of that type of stuff. I guess we should just pause and explain what Intercom is so people have context. Intercom is um, a SaaS company. So we sell uh, software to um, other companies, other internet companies. that, And it's... Um, a suite of products that allow them to talk to their customers. So we have uh, products and tools for customer support, for marketing communication, um, for feedback, um, all of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. So from the marketing and brand design perspective, like so diverse, physical goods, podcasts, events, like why is that stuff the most important thing to be focusing on right now? Um, we would say like the product, frankly, is the most important thing to be focusing on. Um, uh, we are definitely are like a product first company for sure. Um, but I think we've gotten to the point where, um, you know, we want to get better at like telling our story to people. Um, we want to do more. We just want to like talk about ourselves a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, just make people aware of us a little bit more. The podcast has been great. Like we've been super impressed. Actually, Brian, when it first came out, was like, "We should get them on the network. We should hang out with them. They're great." Yeah, I actually was uh, emailing with. I'm f- gonna forget his name. Uh, the guy who runs the podcast. Yep. And we were like, "Yeah, what would it look like on the Spec Network?" But then we realized it was really a. a it's this a branded interactive show. marketing so, yeah. tool for your team. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. great content. But we get yeah, we got a lot of cool like Julie Zoo was yep. just on there, mm-hmm. you know. Um so we get like a lot of like interesting folks come in. Um It's all between product people, designers, that sort of market, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. How are you thinking about this? Like what's your role in all of these different verticals is it is it just managing the team that that does this or yeah it's man it's mostly managing the team and just like um setting the vision and setting the strategy for it 
um, and making sure we are like aligned with the rest of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like we've been hiring, like there's been a lot of focus on hiring mm-hmm. recently. We've been hiring a bunch of really cool people. Like? Um, like we have a rad designer called Clark Harris, who used to work at Instrument in Portland. Um, Sweet. We have uh, Maria Gonzalez, um, who comes from a bunch of co-agencies. Um, and you know you can't forget anyone now because they're going to hear this. <laughs> you got to list off the entire team. That's how that works. Mr. Mr. Perverse. <laughs> JP himself. JP, yeah, he started. One of the um, JPs. He's yeah. kind of like, he's not unique in this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Started a couple of weeks ago. He's already like making weird shit. So sounds like just. Well, that's <laughs> you mean still making weird shit. <laughs> still make, that's what that's what we hired him for. To be yes. fair, so uh, yeah. Um. So we've got her. her uh, we've got Jenny Lee, who's really cool. Um. Yeah, we've got like a bunch of really good folks. We've got a guy, um, Ryan Hubbard, who's remote out in Kansas City, who used to work at Fuzzco. Nice. Which is like a cool agency in yeah. Charleston. I didn't know where they're um, located, but I saw their work. It's yeah. awesome. So we've got like a, a really, really good team, actually. Nice. Uh, I'm really, really lucky. That's awesome. With the people that we've got. Uh, and we've got some pretty big, big ambitions. Well, it sounds like it. I mean, all the like physical goods, which I'd imagine you guys do a lot of events with other people as well. So lots of like, it's a very diverse strategy. You're everywhere, essentially. We're pretty much everywhere. What's yeah. uh, what's the big vision then? How would you articulate it? Um, the the mission, like for for brand design, like honestly, like we want to be like the best in house brand creative team in the world. Uh huh. Which is pretty, it's a pretty lofty goal because you're obviously including your Facebooks and that and your Googles and your Airbnbs and whoever else you want to, you want to talk about. But we're going to, we're going to get there. I think we're going to be, um, we're already working on some great stuff. We've got a hugely talented team. The company's led by people who are really like truly design first people. You know, you hear that a lot of places when you walk in the door. It's like, yeah, we value design. What we love design. <laughs> what they, do you think is the value of that outside of getting support for your team? Like, what is the value of that to the customer? Um, the value of that to the customer, I believe, is that we that we truly want to do things in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't just want to be copying somebody else. Okay. And the value of that from from our leadership, from from the CEO down, mm-hmm. really. Um, and he's is, pretty active on Twitter too. I've seen him interact with a bunch of my friends. Like, absolutely, it's really yeah. cool. I mean, he's he's great. They they have a design background. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a, uh, a web design agency. You know, uh, yeah. back in the day before they started Intercom, um, and like they're they're just pushing us to to you know push things further to take risks. You know, they'll allow us to like make, make mistakes. How does the brand design team work with the product design team from different cities and how does each team's work influence the other Mm, interesting and i will uh fully um admit to uh you know we have to get better at that our team's grown super fast like we've gone from from three designers uh on the first of february to like six seven designers now um so we're starting to have more ability to interact with the product team um it's difficult like purely on a geographic Mm -hmm. 
basis. Like 9 a.m. San Francisco time is literally 5 p.m. Dublin mm-hmm. time. <laughs> it's like so the worst possible time difference. Right. So it's like a full like working days difference. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's challenges there, but um, I think um, we definitely spend a lot of time talking to each other. Um, you know, if they're working on a new product, we obviously need to be able to support that from mm-hmm. a brand and a marketing point of view. So, like, we work pretty tightly with those folks. Um, we talk a lot about what is going on, what's coming up. Um, we travel back and forth a fair bit as well. Um, you know, I've been out there twice over mm-hmm. the last couple of months. So, you know, um, we need to to do that's one thing that we could be doing better. What's what's been the biggest challenge of of those things? The biggest challenge is really is really the time. Yeah. You know? um, it's uh, either a lot of early meetings for us uh, or late meetings for them. Um, but we but we make it work pretty well. Like we have like weekly show and tells where the whole company gets together. That's you know. been one of my favorite things at other companies. Is like oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Like we, if you're if you're an engineer that mm-hmm. starts the intercom, you you like commit code in your first day, you like nice. ship a feature in your first week, um, and you'll get up and show and tell on the Friday and and you know tell everybody what you did. What yeah. was your last show and tell? Uh, my last show and tell, I can't remember. I don't. Take, <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I don't design anymore. <laughs> like I. What was your first show and tell? Uh, my first show and tell, I think, was a keynote template, which you know, believe it or not, hey, that's, like, is, I just <laughs> did like my first keynote in a long yeah. time, and that was yeah, not easy. Uh, which you know, um, went over pretty well because <laughs> people needed it. You know, awesome. Um, no, the designers take take more credit for that stuff. Because they're the ones that are making the cool stuff. What's been uh, the most interesting part about building the team? You mentioned you were three when you joined. Now six, seven in like yeah five, seven, and then four months. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. yeah, and then also um, we hired a project manager. Um, we hired a couple of production designers. So I think we're we're at eleven now. Wow, from five to eleven. Okay, like three four months. Um, like the structural piece has been definitely like something that we've been needing to think about, you know, like I'm now at essentially 10 direct reports, which mm-hmm. is like way too many. Um, so we need to think about that. And then it also just like gives us the opportunity to, to work on more things to, to kind of think about like, uh, what do we want to stand for? What's like the culture of our team? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we want to talk about ourselves? How do we want to project ourselves to the world so i come from mostly working on products yes and i can chat about hiring product designers but hiring brand designers is something i have know nothing about like could you tell me a little bit about what you look for what makes a strong brand designer as, as people are applying or you're reaching out to them um just like a real strong point of view what do you mean by that I mean, like generalists who have done like interactive work. They've probably done print stuff. Um, they've probably maybe done um, like some physical goods. They've probably they've maybe like dabbled in like video. Just like a diverse background of skills, mm-hmm. um, and nothing that looks like. Uh, I guess like too trendy or templatized. Mm-hmm. <laughs> none, none of your dribble 
like does it need to be like illustrators are those like no, a important piece not really i mean like you can tell with with illustration like um you can generally see a lot of people's personality come through in our illustration which mm-hmm. is which is great um we do do illustration in-house but we also um outsource quite a lot of that okay we want to keep things really fresh and push things further um and we have um, some like, like a rough kind of point of view on what illustration is, but it's mm-hmm. not. It's definitely different to everybody else's. Um, but really, we look for like personalities, a big thing, you know, like people that are committed, people that have like high standards for themselves, you know, people that aren't. Uh, aren't ever really satisfied mm-hmm. with what they're what they're working on they're always kind of thinking to the next thing when you say they come in with a point of view is that the same thing as saying they come in with their own style or is style different than a point of view i think um yes i'm not too worried about style you know like st- i like i like people who um try and set themselves apart i guess in terms of style i don't i don't ne- we don't necessarily look for people who are um following trends or trying to kind of um hone morph their style into whatever might be popular just now we look for people who uh have developed their own like tone of voice through their work and probably people who have um a point of view just on design generally and who like to talk about that stuff and argue uh-huh. about it um yeah i imagine arguing's you, fun <laughs> you get in a room with 11 people that have a strong point of view uh that strong of a point of view in their own style is that uh, a good working working environment it's good because we also hire people that are really humble and who have very low ego um and who are just as interested in learning from the person next to them as they are you know putting their own uh personal stamp on the work um and those people are hard to find <laughs> but you've managed to find a bunch in the we've last few months bu- we have yeah we've gotten really lucky where do you look or are people coming to you um people are coming to us yeah people are coming to us um you know we've gotten lucky with a with a couple of folks um there was already some great people working there when i started so i can definitely not take credit um for for that I really just kind of built on um, to some of the people that were already there. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's just communicating with people, trying to connect with people, like people whose work you admire, you know, reaching out to them, talking about what we're doing. So we've been kind of like doing both. Okay. We should talk about uh, how you ended up getting to Intercom. Perhaps we could start at the beginning. That's a long way back. The very beginning. Jesus. Like, well, what very beginning? When did you first make money by designing something? That's a good question. I don't know. Probably my first job. I um, like got into design in high school. Thought I was probably going to be like a painter or fine artist. Um, realized that wasn't probably going to pay the bills and I certainly wasn't good enough um so maybe thought about architecture or some other kind of discipline Uh which had a better paycheck associated with it uh I couldn't get into any decent 
design schools to do that. In Scotland? Yeah. Applied for a bunch, didn't get into any of them. Still don't have a degree. Ended up studying industrial design at like a local community college. It was like a three-year course. Industrial design? Yeah. What did you want to do with that? Uh, I wanted to do nothing with that. Like, <laughs> I, fucking, I fucking hated industrial no. design. And you did it for three years? <laughs> I did it for three years. But what I did like Why? was like uh, the graphical component to that. So like um, rendering your designs like and this was before like we had zero computers at school like none um so it was all like done by hand um all of like the technical illustrations and schematic diagrams were like pen and ink on a drawing board um all of the renderings were like in pantone markers like drafting or yeah or like uh Hairbrush was popular at the time. Wait, <laughs> what's drafting? What, what's drafting? Yeah. What's drafting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know what drafting like, is. Like technical illustration? Yeah, like applying a pen to a piece of paper and th- dragging it across the surface to create a mark. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like many like blueprints you see, but of an object. You, said it, in, like you said it in the context of Pantone... So you would do um, like isometric diagrams yeah. and so on uh-huh. like, to get that the was my favorite thing in high school. Yeah, I liked that. Too. We had like a technical no, what was it? Des- design technology or something like that class, and we got to do like hand drafting, and I loved it so much. Yeah, and then we would take that into AutoCAD, which obviously you said you had we no computers. I guess I've just never heard the term drafting instead yeah. of like sketching or well a draftsman like printing or something a draftsman in like an architectural context is is like the person who who draws up like all of those like that's you know, the context i needed yeah. got it uh so yeah there was like all of that stuff like the graphic designers had like some of the first like apple Macs, and we weren't allowed to touch them because <laughs> they were fucking graphic designers um <laughs> back off you industrialist <laughs> yeah um, but I, I I enjoyed like the visual part of that. So like when I graduated, I, I went into graph graphic design. Um, worked at like a financial services company in Glasgow, Scotland, for a while, doing brochures uh-huh. for pension schemes and that type of stuff. How'd you like that? Uh, it was pretty miserable. Yeah, why'd you stick with it? Um, I didn't stick with it for that long. <laughs> brochures like are one of the weird problems where it's it's almost like the web where it's like so freeform you can do whatever you want kind yeah. of it seems like the hardest problem because there's very few constraints other than like usually like trifold or something right yeah how well, was that how did you deal with that did you have other people to look up to did, did you just copy other people's stuff um so i like the people that i really looked up to at that time were like people like oh let me think like the designers republic they were like doing a lot of kind of like pop art inspired Design world. Do you okay. remember like a, a computer game called Wipeout? Yeah. 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 So they did all of the graphic design for like the ships. On Crazy. That. So I was trying to like take that influence and put it into like fucking pension scheme booklets. <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> pension's awesome. This, uh, this, uh, this pension is radical. This annualized death table with like oh, no. <laughs> some crazy like, you know, drop shadow or iconography on it. You know, that was back in like, let me think uh late 90s so you know the creative creative scene in scotland at, at that time was was pretty dead um did you have a lot of friends that were were in graphic design or were you alone in that i was i was pretty much on my own on that um 
it was it was a, just a lot harder back then you know like there was there was virtually like the internet was just getting started like where we were anyway um you know i remember starting my first job and for the first like two three months like we didn't have email you know we didn't have like you would literally you would send memos to people you would literally write a note print it out like a hundred times and then walk around and place a copy on everybody's desk is that better or worse than email oh god it's fucking worse <laughs> dude <laughs> it costs you time to like <laughs> reply all <laughs> yeah like you know if you want to send a message to like every employee like it's like that's two, a double-edged you, sword you should, my friend you shouldn't do it <laughs> i know you well, that that's true like you choose your words carefully but yeah. it takes you like two hours to do that you uh-huh. know I think it was like three months before we got some kind of like internal like MSN or something like that. Some sort of messaging thing like on the internal network. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was an interesting job. How long did you stay there? Uh, was it was a couple of years, like two, two, three years maybe. Okay. Um, and so you stuck out brochures for quite a while. Stuck out for a while. Like, I mean, I was... That's I a was, lot of brochures. I was unemployed. <laughs> I mean, I was unemployed for like eight months, like um after I graduated because like the industry was just like you know in the toilet like it was after it was kind of around like there was a recession at that time there was just like no jobs around you know so like, I was just like happy to have one to be earning money did you feel to like be putting heavy drop shadows on annualized yeah, death tables exactly <laughs> did you feel like uh this is what you had to do or were you tempted to, uh, to switch industries? I mean, I was tempted to switch industries at a certain point, but it's a hard thing to get your head around. Like at that time in that place, it was like, it was, it's not the same as like what it is now where it's like you do a job, you do it for a couple of years, you know, maybe go somewhere else. It was like people were staying in jobs for right. like 30, 40 years. That's terrifying. Right? Yeah. But that's like not, that's completely normal. You can, you can do you that. <laughs> it was like, um, it's like, okay, you've, you've got your job, you've found what you're doing, that's what you're going to do for the foreseeable future, you know? It's just like a different mindset. But after being there for a while, you know, it was like time to look around and, and do something different. And I wanted to stretch my legs a little bit. So where'd you go? I uh, just quit my job, bought a one way flight to Amsterdam. <laughs> And I slept on a friend's floor for a couple of weeks, Uh worked in a call center for like two, three months, went heavily into my overdraft, um, and then miraculously found myself working at Nike in their European headquarters. Damn. That's a good pickup. That's a very strong turnaround. How did that happen? Uh... Purely because, like, I got to know some people there and they were looking for, um, like, production artists. Like, uh-huh. it was, you know, kind of like an entry-level design. What does production artist mean? I was, like, using Adobe Illustrator to illustrate the little uh, images of apparel that they would use in the catalogs to, mm-hmm. like, sell to stores. So what's um, the difference between that and a product design or production designer? Sorry, uh, it's just the same thing. Okay, essentially, it was different ways to say the same thing. Uh, it was called like a Mac art worker at that time. Interesting. I think of production designers as someone who's like preparing things for release, like 
uh maybe someone is a, a good artist and they'll drop icons and you'll like yeah. get all the sizes ready pixel fit them like yeah launch them. is that kind of the same thing yeah okay enough like it's almost a, like pre-press a, yeah exactly yeah okay. in like a product context that, okay. that would that would be the same thing okay like this was um sportswear apparel which mm-hmm. is yeah a, a little bit, a bit different, different. So yeah. it was like, but it was like yeah it's essentially the same the same type of thing okay but it's cool. also at one of the strongest brands in the world right yeah what was um, it like getting into graphic design there well production design and it was cool um yeah i did that for a couple of years there and then i would um just kind of worked my way up became a graphic designer in the soccer department and then i was designing soccer uniforms for like the best teams in the world. For that World seems like Cups. a good spot to be in in Europe. Europe. Yeah. <laughs> in Amsterdam. Yeah, it was great. Okay. And then did you, what did you do after that? Did you stay within Nike and move up from, from designing? Yeah, I did that for in Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam for, for seven years. Okay. Met my wife there. Um, my daughter was born there. Um, then we moved to England, like when she was like three months old. Why'd you do that? Um, apartments were tiny, like even tinier than San Francisco standards. Is um, that possible? Yes. <laughs> we were, shit. we were in, uh, our apartment was like 500 square meters. So what's that like? Wait, 500 square That's meters? That's like 1500 square feet, right? Uh, no, It's like hold three to one? Uh, 50 square meters. That makes more sense. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. 150 square feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot I mean, more it was sense. Very, very small. That's yeah, like yeah. the size of this room. Um, and the staircases were like climbing Mount Iger um, <laughs> and trying to do that with like yeah. a stroller. Yeah. All of the daycares spoke Dutch only, you know. Um, so like we just wanted to be closer to family. Okay. Um, so we went and spent a couple of years in England. Did that mean you have to le- uh, had to leave Nike? We left Nike, but Nike at the time owned um, a soccer company called Umbro. Okay. I know Umbro. Yeah, everybody yeah. in the US knows Umbro. I don't yeah. know Umbro. Yeah, everybody had their bro shorts at some point. I, I had a, like a knockoff jersey thing. It was like a ripoff of someone, someone else's design. But Yeah. So they had they had bought them and they were doing kind of like a brand refresh. So I went went over there to um, to work on that. My wife was, met my wife at Nike. She worked for Nike as well. She okay. was in product marketing. Um, so we both went over and did that for a couple of years. Was that your first time working at the brand level? Uh, yeah. What was that like? Uh, it was really cool. Um, we had, I had been working on products purely before that. Right. Um, we worked with brand to like give them the stuff that they use to go, you know, tell their stories, I guess. Uh, but Umbro was, was product and it was brand. Um, and there was like some digital work as well. Did they choose you to work on the brand or, or was brand sort of a calling for you? They kind of chose, uh, I don't know, a little bit of both. Okay. You know, it was kind of one of these things where it was like a little bit more of a startup mentality when it was just like, there was a bunch of shit that needed done. Yeah. You do everything that, yeah, yeah that was totally. just kind of like how it was. Um, but I really liked that stuff. So when I left there and like, when was that? That was 2011. I left there. Uh, we moved to the U.S., moved to Atlanta. Why'd you choose Atlanta? Yeah. <laughs> we, we wanted to be closer question. to home, and then uh, yeah, and then we didn't. Well, we have family there. Like, my wife's from Chicago. Oh, okay. Um, and we have, uh, like, my brother and sister-in-law are there. 
my daughter, her cousins there, they're pretty close in age. Okay. Uh, so it was still like close to family, uh, but we moved from her wife's job. Um, she went to to work for an Atlanta company. So uh, I just quit there, freelanced for a little while, uh, started working at Coca-Cola in their in-house. What kind of work did you do in freelance? Uh, Freelance-wise? Yeah. Um, what kind of work do you like? opt for when you when you choose exactly what it is um that was hmm, what did i do i mean i wasn't freelancing for too long but okay. there was a bunch of like branding projects okay um people that i knew that were launching uh online stores there was like branding stuff and like web layout stuff so how much of branding to you is like logo or how much of it is like style guide like how how does that kind of relate is style guide kind of relegated to product most of the time or is that a big piece of it that's a big piece of it for okay. sure yeah yeah for sure is I that mean, a piece at intercom uh yeah okay yeah um yeah we have pretty robust style guide um that folds in like logo stuff color type you know the same sweet tone of voice all of that type of thing Awesome. This is a dumb question, but is that similar at a at a company the size and, and nature of Coca Cola or Nike? Bigger, much bigger. I mean, but really, purely just from like these are the number of iterations um, of that brand look and feel. You know, um, like Coca Cola, we would have like a two hundred and fifty page style guide just because. There's there so, was many, so many different variations yeah. of like photography, localization, local, exactly languages. Yeah. You know, um, they handed like, that to you on day one. They're like, "Yeah, yeah, uh, figure go. this out. <laughs> figure this out." There's Sprite. Go figure out how to update that brand. Drake. Um, Drake. <laughs> um, Add Drake. Yeah, but that was that was good fun. You know, shitty amount of hierarchy. Like Coca Cola, yeah. <laughs> and, you know the, the southern like culture. It was just like really, it was kind of tough to get anything done. Just wasted a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but um, we did some good work. Worked with that was like when I first actually visited San Francisco because okay. you know we worked with a couple of agencies here. Like we worked with uh, Hatch, uh, who were really good. Turner Duckworth, who mm -hmm. I'm still friendly with today. Or like an awesome group of people. So it wasn't all in house. It was it was a mixture of like in house work and like working with agencies. At a big company like that, who has a lot of hiring potential, how do you decide when to work with an agency? We, I think there was the majority of it at that time was like agency work. Okay, and it was wasn't really, like a lot of in house. There was a pretty small team okay. in house. Like I, I was like. I was working on like two or three brands. So like Sprite, Seagram's, Coke Zero, I think it was. Okay. Um, and it Seagram's, was kind of, is that gin? It was gin, but then they do like seltzer water. Okay. Bunch of other stuff. Could you tell, <laughs> tell me a little more about that? I think Coke Zero is fascinating. Yes. Um, I might butcher this, you should probably say, but it, isn't it essentially Diet Coke? Same, yes. But it's like targeted towards men. Yeah. I mean, one's <laughs> one's silver and one's black. Yeah, one's one's silver, and they like will sponsor like the Oscars or the Golden Globes, and they'll have Taylor Swift, and then Coke Zero, which is basically the same thing. And so that's what's fascinating to me about about brand is yeah. it's the same thing, it's the same thing, repackaged and shown yeah. in different contexts, and yeah. it means different things, right? Yeah, it looks it's totally different. 
you know. Coke Zero was black and red and they'll sponsor college football and, you know, basketball and whatever <laughs> else. Can you talk a little bit about what you worked on specifically for that one? I guess I think that's that's just incredibly interesting that it's it's the same thing. Was it a lot of research? <laughs> uh yeah, there was there was a there was a fair bit of research. Um, like consumers, what they were looking for, what they are um there was a whole lot of like interesting stuff around what consumers' perceptions were of like the product. Mm-hmm. Like Sprite, um, I did the majority of my work on Sprite and there was like two separate people that bought Sprite. There was like moms who would buy it in multi-packs from the grocery store because they perceived Sprite as being quote-unquote more healthy. Yep. Which, of course, it's not. My parents definitely did. They were like, what? It's not brown. It's It's not not, acidic. Right, so it's clear, right? It's clear. It doesn't have like any weird colors in it. Uh, It doesn't have caffeine, um, so from that, so it must what, be better for so you. So it must be better. Like, um, it won't keep my kids up at night, right? Um, so there's that, and then there's teenagers who buy it. Like teenagers love it because it's got a perceived higher level of carbonation. Huh. Um, I buy that for sure. Yeah, I mean it. It doesn't has the same as everything else, but that's that's how they think about it interesting um and so we'd we'd like think about um ways to kind of like it's a bullshit phrase but like tell that brand story i guess like why is that a bullshit phrase um because we weren't really telling stories we were selling like sugary drinks how does that compare to telling our story at intercom um because i feel like at intercom like we actually have like a story to tell we're not just trying to like uh you know hack our way to to growth you know coca-cola it was just didn't matter what you were doing it was like did you sell more cases this month and what at, than what at you some did last level month? it's it's hurting the people you're selling to exactly yeah which, Whereas intercom, yeah, it's supposed it's, to be a great experience that helps yeah. people. It's, it's, it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we would, we would, um, so we would tell kind of like a similar story in two different ways. Like we would uh, to teenagers, we would talk about basketball, and we would sponsor the, uh-huh. the slam mm-hmm. dunk contest, and we would have LeBron and Kobe all over it. It's amazing how well you did your job because I know all yeah, of these all things. Those things, right? <laughs> But on the other side, for the moms, we would be like, well, buy this multi-pack and save the the caps and you can contribute to refurbishing a basketball court wow. in your local community. And, you know, so there's like a whole way to like flip that stuff. Uh, you sound like perhaps you're a bit jaded of that particular kind of branding and marketing. Uh, I felt like it was, well, first of all, you were like ethically it was difficult for me even while you were there yeah i mean like at nike we were trying to help athletes perform better we were trying to inspire more people to play sport you know um like it's almost like the opposite coca-cola yeah like and you know like you get the whole thing where it's like you know people enjoy it people enjoy it as part of a balanced diet so it's you know it's Mm. not Coca-Cola is not the thing that makes you overweight or diabetic, right? So, um... I would say drinking the Kool-Aid, but that seems inappropriate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> drinking the Coca-Cola. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so that was that was kind of difficult. Um, Can you share? It, share like I, that? I think is a very fascinating yeah. place to be in where the Kool Aid is around you, like we're, the Coca Kool Aid. We're yeah, the Coca Kool Aid. We're telling this brand story. We want the world to know what our mission and values are. But then you're sitting there internally, maybe having this this ethical battle of mm-hmm. of the work you do every day. Yeah, uh, which was difficult, you know. Like I think, just like on a fundamental level, like as designers, like we have to make decisions about the things that we do and the problems mm-hmm. that we work on and the impact that that they have in in the world. And it was it was hard to sit there in meetings and talk about like you know. Um, this brand campaign that we're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on and we're targeting like, you know, 15, 16 year old kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, that how was, did you sleep that, at night? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I didn't, I left and I went to, <laughs> I went to CNN. Um, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't awful. Like we, we worked on a lot of interesting things. We worked like with a lot of cool people. There was a lot of good people there, you know, a lot of really talented people. Um, and it was, a lot of it was fun. Um, but like long, long term, it just like kind of made me a little bit uneasy. Would you say that in general brand and marketing is, uh, manipulating people? Um, I think it depends how you do it. Um, it addresses psychology at some like it has it to, right? I think it, yeah, I think it depends how you so how you want to dress it up. Right. It depends on how you phrase it too. Like even saying manipulate people yeah. has a negative connotation, right? Right. It does. Like if you if you walk into a grocery store, um there's there's like a whole strategy around what you see at certain certain places. Like when you walk into the store, you may see something with Coca Cola. And it's just like a generic, maybe a cooler or something. It just kind of like plants the seed. Like as you walk around, when you get to the the section that has the spicy food, you'll see like some more, you know, there'll be a picture of like a family around a table eating dinner and they've got Coca-Cola there and they're having a great time, you know. Um, so like there's a whole kind of like strategy about like what you see at certain times. Um Hmm. And that's definitely like manipulating people to a certain extent, right? It's interesting how like manipulating objects doesn't have a negative connotation, but manipulating people does, even yeah. though like I'm reading uh, everything is. Have you read the book Thinking Fast and Slow? I'm just getting into it. I've never it. even heard of that. It won a uh, Nobel Prize. No, Pulitzer. Pulitzer. <laughs> a bit different. Wow, way off. Uh, Pulitzer. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, uh, but. There's a section, I'm, I'm still early into The Nobel it, Prize for books. But there's a section where essentially uh, our, the environment around us subconsciously changes the decisions you make much further down the road. It's called priming, obviously, and that's what you're describing. And that to me is terrifying because um, if you don't know about it, it's like the ignorance is bliss kind of thing. But when you know about it, you start to look at like, I am being primed all the time to buy shit. Yep. Well, that's totally. how conversations work too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so for you, do you think that the, the ends justify the means? Like if the psychological manipulation is going towards something that you believe is good, it if makes you're helping people. Yeah. 
if you're helping people, if that's if what you're doing is ultimately mm-hmm. to to their benefit, yeah, you know, sure. Almost tricking people into making the right decision. Yeah, I think even I'm presenting it probably more hostile than it should be. I don't. I think that you can dress it up in all sorts of ways, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's um, yeah, you can approach it all sorts of different ways. And we did, you know, like we did good stuff. Like we we built like skate parks for kids. You know, um, we did all sorts of things, but. It's still kind of like, you know, at the end state, you know, you're still uh, selling sugary beverages. At what point did you decide you'd had enough? You know, there wasn't anything. There was just like over time. Yeah. I think we had we had done some really good work. I had gotten to the end like of some projects. Um, and then uh, CNN called me and that I felt was like a chance to kind of like get back to something that hopefully had was had some benefit to people, you know. What did you work on there? Uh, I worked in their um, digital design team. Okay, lower third kind of stuff or uh, yeah. web stuff. Uh, web stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah. There was a little bit of like lower third stuff, like with uh, the broadcast team. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what's um, lower third? Like when you watch CNN, ah. like the little thing that goes along the bottom tells you what's going on yeah. or who the person is. Or- gotcha. I went in there because I'd done like a lot of style guide work. Okay. Like they were going to go through like a whole like rebrand and redesign process of their homepage. Right. So for context, what year was this? Uh, Let's go back. This was, I want to say like 2012, 2013. I feel like I remember this. Yeah. 2013. Yeah. So like we spent, like that was a long process. Like we spent probably like 18 months like working on like that redesign. Were you in any particular like genre of content we so there was like let me think there was probably like 15 designers okay uh in the digital design team Mm -hmm. uh and they were like split into three components there was like the ux Mm -hmm. people there was the editorial design people that worked on like features infographics that kind of stuff uh and then there was a brand design team so there was three of us um and that was kind of like uh, logo work. We would think about how we would translate broadcast work to digital. We worked on a lot. Of, that was like the visual component of that redesign, the visual design. They have a lot of verticals, though. Were like, yeah. were there any that you particularly worked on? We did. I kind of like worked on a lot of different stuff. Okay, um, with with three people, I would imagine. But yeah, like I did a lot of like editorial illustration. We spent a lot of time kind of trying to join up all of the different design teams. There was a broadcast design team. There was like an on-air promotions team. There was a marketing team. Uh, they were all kind of like doing their own thing. So there was a lot of kind of like running around trying to trying to match all of that stuff up so what was the vision there like if if we said the vision at coca-cola was to sell more cans of of sugary drinks what was the like guiding vision or or underlying mission at at um i think it was um just to like further people's understanding of what's going on in the world current events and just like explaining it to them i guess so how did that inform your work on on brand and, and digital strategy um, we were very much thinking about like, you know, how do we want people to feel like when they're, when they're visiting the website, like lots of red, angry, <laughs> lots of red, angry. Well, that is interesting because it's a very different, like, uh, mindset on digital than it is on TV. Like, it's almost like people, alert. Well, people, people turn on CNN when the world's on fire. Right. So, 
the temptation for them is to like hype everything up mm-hmm. as if the world was on fire at every moment of the day right for us like on online we could we had like the ability i mean like tv is very linear mm-hmm. so you switch it on you watch it and then you switch it off at the end um on a digital context you can obviously explore a lot more you can give them like related content you have a, just a lot more space to like give them context help them understand so we kind of we didn't we didn't shout so much like we had concept that we called like a, a mood ring so it was like on a regular day it was like a lot quieter and then like it was it was more blue um it was more grays and blacks and then like if as events started to kind of take off like you would start to like dial up the urgency you know to mm. get people's attention wait 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 explain that more the mood ring was an internal philosophy or it was like an actual representation on the screen of color it was a representation on the screen yeah oh. so like wow. you would you would have like on a regular news day when it was just like politics whatever it would be mostly like blues and blacks and grays yeah. um when shit started to hit the fan you would start to get like the red bar that comes in um wow on like a really really big news day you know you would do like more of like a full page takeover uh you know where it was just like you would have like a live feed in there it would just like start to start to get a lot more animated how did you approach that coming from places like nike and coca-cola where they were much more like focused and a little bit sleeker to somewhere like cnn where there's a lot of density like density has a lot of value there density has a lot of value and it was a really tough it was a tough nut to crack there, mm-hmm. you know, because theoretically, like, if, you know, what's most important, you really have to make some decisions. Like, Prioritization. Yeah. Um, you know, what do you want to be talking at any given time? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like most of our traffic would come through that little group of links and like the top left hand of the screen. And there was a whole bunch of other stuff, like great content, like great writing features, video that wasn't really getting discovered. So, you know, we kind of tried to work on ways to to surface that a little bit more. So prioritization, but kind of like extending their visit kind yeah. of thing. And the, I guess like the, um, the interesting part to that is like, you get people to more content, like not necessarily by putting more stuff on the screen is by like, putting some space like, letting them focus that. on a thing yeah letting them focus on something and then giving them some opportunities to to move on elsewhere i want to go back to the color for just a second yeah you mentioned that you're open for hard questions and this is i think maybe harder I, i'm trying to ask it in not an asshole way but it's perhaps a cynical question um could you argue that by ramping up the intensity and the reds uh when there's things going on in the world that you are manipulating people's you're priming them natural response <laughs> yeah. where where red equals anger or intensity or frustration get upset about this and you yeah you're using that that psychology to make people more upset and stay longer and read more things and click more ads uh you could definitely say that i mean that would be fair i mean <laughs> would, would you would you what, ar- would you argue against that uh a little bit you know um there's a reason why the notifications on your messages are red, you know? Yeah. Right? That is a good point. <laughs> um, so it's the same, it's the same but thing. But in this case, it's the news, right? Yeah. In this case, it's, so, it's the things happening in the world. It and, gets a lot and, of shit already it, for... When you surround it by red, is there this undertone of you should be upset by this thing? Uh, there is the potential to do that, yes. 
yes and i think like on a broadcast context i think that's definitely what what comes across i think on digital honestly like the approach that we always took was here's this here's this thing going on and it's a fucking mess you know um and it might be awful um but at the same time here's some like additional context to like help you understand it was that measurable like um, if you if you dialed the color a certain this way you could notice this this sort of result um i don't know like how measurable it, it is i mean people were coming to the website when when things were going on um, but they were coming from other places. They were coming from Twitter or they were coming from like some other place. So, I mean, like we would definitely have like spikes in traffic for, for those days. Um, but we would always try and temper kind of like that big headline, big photograph type situation with like, you know, here's some, some background, you know, here's some, uh, some reasoning. Here's maybe like an opinion piece about it. Um, we would always try and kind of like balance that by like, I felt we felt like helping people understand those things would, would make them less scary, I guess. Do you feel like you have uh, a moral responsibility with your skills and ability to change the way people might perceive or think about certain things? Um, I think, uh, yes. Uh, I, um, we were very careful that, you know, CNN wasn't, wasn't MSNBC on the left. It wasn't Fox on the right. You know, it was, it was bipartisan. So there was, you know, definitely a responsibility to, to uphold that no matter what your personal views may be, especially when it comes to, to words and visuals. And that's a little bit more of like an editorial thing. You know, the photography that you show, the headlines that you write, you know, there's design bleeds into that. If you want to use like a huge point typeface that says something different than if you write the same thing, like really small. Right, right. right. So, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of responsibility about that. There was always a lot of decisions to be made when, you know, big news stories were, were happening. Did you ever have to use that moral bar to push back against certain decisions let me think yeah there was there was a bunch of stuff that happened like it's mostly on the editorial side mostly on the photography side um which we were kind of impacted by but we weren't necessarily part of those decisions is it possible to share more or is that uh yeah like there was the one there was the sandy hook incident yeah. and there was like you might remember it. There was a there was a photograph of the 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 teacher leading a bunch of the kids out, and so there was a whole discussion uh, around the newsroom for like an hour as to like whether we were going to blur the faces of the kids or not. You know, what's the what's the the journalism take on that? What's you know? the value of it versus what's yeah yeah so like, to marketing versus journalism? Exactly. So you know, if you want to be entirely truthful. You would show their faces if you wanted to, you know, be respectful or if you wanted to, uh, you know, not be so literal, you would blur them out. So there was like a whole, whole back and forward about that. I think we showed the faces at the end of the day, which I think was the right thing to do. I think this is the most intense deep topic 
we've ever gotten into. Nice. I mean, that's I like, like that. those aren't easy decisions, right? No, those are not easy decisions. And there's, there's a, you know, each side has perfectly viable, you know, perfectly good rationale as to like whether you go like one, one way or the other. And you're looking you know? at it for, through, the, through the brand lens? And uh, and how that decision impacts the brand of CNN, or or is are you coming at it from a different angle? Yeah, so like, well, that would definitely impact us. So it's like, okay, if we are uh, another example, Charleston Church, and we want to show like the faces of the victims, like how do you treat those? You know, um, a lot a lot of news companies get a lot of flack for showing people out of context or like yeah. in sometimes their worst selves kind of thing, right? Exactly. To, to sell a narrative. Right. So um, you've often got like limited information, you know, so like how are you going to, how are you going to show those? Are you going to show those? When's the right time to show those? Uh, there's a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of like interesting, interesting decisions being made like very quickly. Always on a case by case basis. Always on a case by case basis. Yeah. Did you enjoy doing that kind of work, having uh, those conversations? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was great. I thought it was really interesting. I thought like there was a lot of valuable work that we did. So I thought there was a lot of interesting work we did, especially like around elections. You know that that type of thing. Does it translate into how you perceive the news now? Yes, very <laughs> much so. You've seen how it's made. Yeah, very much so. What has changed? Um, for me, watching the news. Um, I think I, I watch out for like people kind of like putting themselves at the center of the story, Mm -hmm. you know, like which, which can definitely happen. I'm definitely very sensitive to like opinion coming through, Mm -hmm. um, you know, how you, uh, edit certain pieces of footage is kind of like interesting. Like you notice that type of stuff. So some like educated skepticism kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, okay. which I think is a is a good thing. Very, yeah. very healthy, I would say. Why did you decide to to leave that world? Um we we moved to San Francisco. My wife got a job out here uh working for Gap at their headquarters in San Francisco and I moved out and I was working remotely for CNN for a while, which was great. You know, I, I enjoyed the work. They weren't particularly set up for remote work, which was tough. So it felt like gradually over time i kind of like drifted away a little bit and then just like met like a lot of people here made a lot of friends here you know found out you know some companies that were doing interesting things do you ever imagine yourself getting into this world of tech startups i mean i think like coming here you know one of the reasons for coming here was like yeah there's other companies that you could work for we don't have to move like say every time we want to change jobs so you're like here now yeah that's the plan yeah we've been here for like nearly three years which is about the longest we've been anywhere that's about as long as i've been for for a long while so yeah yeah we're we're here we wanted to be settled somewhere before the little one started school Mm -hmm. Uh, and she's pretty settled so what's the ethical dilemma in branding at intercom no ethical dilemma. It's pretty. Oh, so you're just like chill. taking the easy route. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> I finally think, chill out of it. Yeah, bit. I think there's not like so much pressure on some of those decisions, but it's it's still intense in its own way. Like we're still like there's definitely a mission. You know, like everybody's everybody's on it. Everybody's like pushing hard. So what happened in between? Why CNN to Intercom? I was 
had, you know, the remote thing had like a certain amount of shelf life. I was looking around for uh, the next opportunity, you know, just wanted to do something different, really. And I was just like really impressed by uh, Owen, the CEO, and Des, uh, Chief Strategy Officer, like the design team there, just like their whole attitude uh, to design what they were trying to do. You know, they were really building something that that literally doesn't exist. Um, and they just have like a really healthy attitude to risk. Um, they wanted to like push the work as far as possible. You know, they didn't want to benchmark themselves against anybody else. There was the opportunity to build a team there, which is kind of like a dream scenario, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like incredibly fortunate to be to be working with those people that's awesome how does uh creative mornings factor in uh creative yeah. mornings um i spoke at the atlanta chapter when i when i was there stayed um good friends with with tina and the the organizers and in, in hq who are who are wonderful folks uh did like some little brand projects for them did some illustration work for them and it just so happened that when i was moving here uh, the previous organizer, Erica Hall, was was stepping aside, and they needed somebody, and I knew them, and they knew me, so it just kind of. That's a pretty great way to make friends in San Francisco. It was a great <laughs> way to make friends. Yeah, I mean that was like the perfect, the perfect introduction to San Francisco. You know, there's just like an opportunity to interact with like some cool companies, some some great people. How did setting those up go at first? Um, you kind of just jump right into it. I kind of just jumped right in. Um, honestly, like it's been it's been relatively easy. Like I I don't have any complaints. Like I've I don't think I've ever sent an email like asking for help. There's just been people reaching out. Like we want to be involved. I want to speak. I want to sponsor. We want to be a venue, whatever it may be. So it was really just a case of like finding the right partners and. What do you get out of it? Why do you like doing it? I just like meeting people, you know, Uh I just like being, being around like like like-minded folks, you know, I just like putting on events that, that give people enjoyment, you know, that are fun to go to. It's just like, it's just a lot of fun, you know, we can relate to that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You've done them. Yeah. Yeah. How does that fit into your day job where you're now director of brand design on a team that is too big for you to manage? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm tomorrow, like tomorrow is my last, my last Creative Morons as organizer. I've been doing it like two years. Um, I think, you know, I think it's just time to like focus on, on other things. I think honestly as well, you know, there's a, it's healthy to have a certain amount of turnover yep. for the organizer. Somebody else can come in and do things. It's been two and a half years. In a different way, freshen things up. Do you know who the new organizer is? Yep. Can you say? Mary Cole. Yeah, I guess so. This will be after the fact, right? So Yeah, this will be in uh, a couple of weeks. Re- yeah, Rita Troyer, who's um designer at Airbnb, is going cool. to do Cool. Sweet. Uh, That's where she- my first Creative Mornings was. Yeah, well, there you go. And she used to organize the Indianapolis chapter. Okay. Um, before she moved to San Francisco. So she's like done it all before, you know, um, she's gonna, she's gonna do it way better than me. I've, I've no doubt. That's awesome. We're actually like just over time. We are over time. Thanks for hanging out and telling us your story. Thanks for having That's me. That's super it's fun. a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Yeah. Anything you want to plug before we go? Anything I want to plug? Mm-hmm. Um, just like check out what we're doing on Intercom, like check out the blog. Done. Uh, we're doing some rad illustration work there. We're Did you get like inter.com? 
intercom.io. Okay. Yeah, check out all the stuff we're doing. Keep an eye on us. Awesome. Sweet. Thanks Thank again. You. That was episode 144. Thank you so much, Stuart, for coming and hanging out with us. So fun. So good. Like that was one of the best conversations I think we've had. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let us know your thoughts. Uh, we're on Twitter at Design Details FM. We are uh, on iTunes. If you want to leave us a review, those mean a ton for us. They help new people find the show. Uh, even if it's just a, a five-star rating, obviously, or leave us some feedback and thoughts and suggestions. We love reading those comments. Can people leave less than five stars for us? Uh, not for, I think we, not for our podcast. We locked out the four. And below, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, we really appreciate if you've taken the time to do that. It really means a lot and helps new people find us. And that means a lot. Before we go, of course... Thank you again to Dropbox for making this show and episode possible. Like I mentioned earlier, Dropbox is hiring design managers right now. They're looking for experienced designers across the board, but design managers in particular are a big thing for them because they're trying to scale an already large company. And to do that, they need people who can partner with product managers, engineers, set product vision, drive critiques, mentor the teams, and then just overall strengthen the design community at Dropbox. So if you're into that, if you're into working with a large growing team, this is an awesome place to do it. Go check them out, spec.fm slash Dropbox. Thank you once again to Dropbox for sponsoring the show. We'll see you on Wednesday with Chris Downer. Chris Downer.